bring you greetings from the faculty, the staff, student body of Martin Luther College in snowy New Ulm, Minnesota, your college of ministry. I'm used to preaching behind a pulpit, used to having sermons preached there, and today you win. So, <laughs> The word of God that we'll use for the sermon this morning is Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 39. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Children of God, through faith in Jesus Christ our Savior, when was the time that you were most scared in life? Can you picture that time? Remember that time? I'll give you my answer. It happened during a job, during my summer days in high school. And how I got the job had an interesting backstory behind it. One of the jobs, I talked to my dad, who happened to be my pastor too. And he said, go down to City Hall, find the personnel department, as it was called. Look for Mr. So-and-so, a member of the church. He owes me one, whatever that meant. So I went to City Hall, found the personnel department, found Mr. So-and-so, filled out an application, and I was hired on the spot. I couldn't believe it. So I was all excited, went home, told my dad I got a job, but I said, you will not believe where I'm going to be working. He goes, where? I said, the cemetery department. With a straight face, my dad looked at me and said, son, that is an important job. You're going to have a lot of people under you. <laughs> and he really did say that. <laughs> By my own count, I had about 5,000 people under me. Well, one summer day, I'm working in the cemetery. I'm working in the farthest corner of the cemetery. It's as far back as you can get from the entrance. It also happens to be one of the oldest sections of the cemetery. And so there were headstones that had ceramic photos of the people who were buried there. It's kind of eerie anyway. But as I'm working, a thunderstorm rolls in, like we had the other night. got really dark in a hurry. Then all of a sudden, streaks of lightning light up the sky. And then a bolt of lightning just explodes overhead, lighting up everything around me, including and especially this photo on a headstone right in front of me. So now picture seeing a face on a headstone in a thunderstorm in a cemetery. Scared to death in a cemetery? That was almost me. Scared to death on the first Easter Sunday evening? That was almost the Lord's disciples. They were terrified. And what's interesting is seeing what Jesus did to address their fears. What we learn from Jesus, his words, his actions, his attitudes, is this, that an empty tomb has no room for fear. We'll see two points from that. One is that we want to recognize the source of our fears. Where do they come from? And the second point that we'll look at later is that we want to embrace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the proof, the evidence of the empty tomb. But first, where do our fears come from? Well, it had been quite a weekend for the Lord's disciples, right? 
When Jesus had been taken captive and then crucified, they scattered. They were like sheep without a shepherd, just like Jesus said they would. And if Saturday was like Sunday that we know about, then they could very well have been huddled behind locked, closed doors, wondering which of them is going to be next. Then Sunday comes around, and then the reports start coming back. The women bring the news that the tomb is empty. And then Peter and John go, and they find out, yes, the tomb is empty. There had to be talk about that during the day, and then as evening came, Cleopas and his friend came hustling back from Emmaus with the news that the risen Lord had walked with them and almost shared a meal with them. Well, that generated more conversation, right? And that's where our sermon text comes along. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. What wonderful news, right? Kind of. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Back in the 1960s, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross pioneered her work in what's called the stages of grief. That's how she labeled it. And if you know the stages of grief, the first stage is denial. When a person hears news about health, it's not good. Common reaction can be denial. I feel fine. There can't be anything wrong with me. Or people get news of the sudden death of a loved one, denial can be a common reaction. Can't be, I just saw him, just talked to her, can't be. After Jesus' death, the disciples, I suppose, were in this stage of denial too, but they were not denying that Jesus had died, they were in denial over his resurrection from the dead. Those men had labeled the women's report of the empty tomb as nonsense. And now when Jesus showed up before them, they're terrified. So what's going on? Well, maybe what happened is when Jesus suddenly appears before them, they're taken back by this new mode of living that Jesus is experiencing. After his resurrection, Jesus now is living in what we call his state of exaltation. He's in possession of a glorified spiritual body. And now we know it doesn't need any longer to knock on a door and be let in. He suddenly appears, and he disappears suddenly like he did with the Emmaus disciples. It could have been for the disciples that the new Jesus was quite different than the old Jesus that they knew, and they were very afraid. So what are your fears? We heard the fears of God's little people here, and maybe there are fears too. But what are, your, what are your fears? What makes you afraid? And I ask myself that too. We can have fears that are tied to the past, can't we? We can have fears that there are memories of sins gone by years ago, maybe decades ago. And then somehow we lead ourselves to think that if I can remember this sin, obviously it means I really haven't been forgiven. There's still some trace of unforgivableness about that. And that is a lie. It's not true. It might be a matter of we have a better memory of that sin than God does, right? Because God forgives and he remembers our sins no more, he says. We can have fears that are tied to the present, the here and the now. There can be fears about 
strained relationships, mounting bills, failing health, struggles against sin, you name it. There can be fears that are associated with the future. We fear again about our health. We have fears about having enough money for retirement. There can be fears about death. With the crazy things going on in the world, there can be fears about which world leader might do something to trigger World War III. There's no end of the sources of fear, right? So where does this all come from? Where did fear originate? Now we have to go back to the Garden of Eden. And there we find that one day Adam and Eve were playing hide-and-seek with God. God had given Adam and Eve one command that they could keep to demonstrate their love for him in a very visible, tangible way. And when they didn't do that, suddenly they're afraid. They try hiding among the trees in the Garden of Eden. Good luck with that. But they tried hiding from God, and when God went out to meet them, and when God gave them an opportunity to fess up by asking, where are you? Adam's response, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Prior to that moment, fear did not exist in God's creation. No reason for fear whatsoever. Adam and Eve enjoyed a perfect, peaceful relationship with God, There was a peaceful, perfect relationship with one another. There was no fear. There was no fear of the animal world. They were the crown of God's creation. They were in charge of everything. No fear whatsoever. But then sin entered the world. One of the consequences of sin is fear. I think you'd agree with me that there are far more serious consequences of sin than fear. The most serious one is the threat of eternal separation from God in a very real hell. Unending abandonment from God, unending punishment for sin. A horrible consequence of sin. And yet the last couple of months, the last couple of church church seasons on the calendar, have demonstrated what God did about sin. The season of Lent showed us that after Jesus went through life, living a life in complete conformity with the will of God, living perfectly for us, he went to the cross. He took on himself the punishment our sins deserve. He suffered what amounts to hell so that you and I would never have to know what that is like. And then the season of Easter that we're in tells us that the Father accepted Jesus' holy life, his sacrificial death, as the full payment for our our sins. If the message of Good Friday is, it is finished, then the message of Easter is, it is accepted. God accepted Jesus' holy life, sacrificial death, as full payment for our sins. A missionary in India once told the story where he was traveling to a little village one day, and as he's walking along, he senses there's a commotion up in the distance there. There's a little village, lots of excitement, noise, doesn't know what's going on. As he gets closer, he's able to determine that the noise is happy. They're happy about something, but still doesn't know. 
He doesn't know the dialect, so he has to ask somebody locally what's going on. And he gets the message that the bone of a holy person had been found, however they determined that. But a bone of a holy person had been found, and that was going to be housed in a shrine in that little village. And so the people were ecstatic about that. Okay, mystery solved for the missionary. But as he went on his way, he was just thinking to himself, and he goes, well, yeah, I get it, but if any part of Jesus' body were found, that would not be a reason for celebration and rejoicing. It'd be a reason for despair. It would mean Jesus had not been raised from the dead. It would mean the tomb is still occupied. And then we've got all those awful reasons, those awful consequences in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to worry about. But there's nothing to worry about. There's no reason to fear. The tomb is empty. It's completely empty. And an empty tomb has no room for fear. What we find out next is that Jesus went to some great effort to prove to his disciples that it was really he standing in front of them, that he had risen from the dead. And so secondly, what we want to do is to embrace, like they did eventually, to embrace the proof, the evidence of the empty tomb that Jesus had been raised from the dead. It is fascinating just to see the interaction between the risen Lord and his fearful disciples. When Jesus appeared before them, he said, Peace be with you. First thing he said to them, peace be with you. Jesus' mission was not to scare the daylights out of people. His mission was to establish, reestablish peaceful relations between a holy God and sinful people. And so it was very understandable that the very first words off Jesus' lips to his followers are, peace be with you. But then again, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. But look what Jesus does. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Jesus told the disciples to come to their senses by using their senses. He talked first about the sense of sight. He said, look at me. It is me. You know me. It's me standing before you. Look at the wounds. Look at the hands and the feet that were nailed to the cross. And then much like he did a week later for Thomas, Jesus told these men on Easter Sunday evening, don't just look, but touch, feel. Feel the wounds And recognize that it's a real person standing in front of you, not a mirage, not a ghost, not a spirit, a real person, and that person is me. A few verses after our sermon text, there are going to be two more senses that come into play that Jesus, again, went to great effort to prove to his disciples it was he. But these two senses are going to be on Jesus' part, the sense of smell and taste Jesus would put on an eating demonstration. He would eat some fish in the presence of his disciples. And then when you consider that Jesus spoke to his followers, there's a fifth sense involved, the sense of sound. So again, what Jesus did was to invite, encourage his disciples to use their senses 
to come to their senses and realize and believe that he had been raised from the dead. If they did that, and when they did that, that would mean all the difference in the world. They could dismiss their fears. They could go on through life with confidence and joy. My friends, Jesus does the same thing. He does something very similar for you and me today. He offers proof. He invites us to use our senses to know that he's our risen Savior. Now, he doesn't come along and personally, visibly say, here, touch, feel. But he invites us to go elsewhere for that proof. And so if we're wondering, if we're wondering about our relationship with God because we messed up again, Jesus says, go to the Word. Go to the Word and see what I did for you. Did you break the first commandment again? Well, I didn't. I kept it perfectly for you. Did you break the fifth commandment, the eighth commandment, the ninth commandment? I didn't. I kept it perfectly for you. Whatever part of God's law you broke, Jesus said, I kept it perfectly for you. And you know what? That means something. It means something for you and me. The Bible says, through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. If we wonder about our relationship with God because life is just filled with one problem after another, and shouldn't it be different if I'm a child of God? Jesus says, go to the Word again. Go to the Word and see what I did in your behalf, that I did and I met your sins just like Isaiah said I would. Surely, he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If we have any doubts at all about God's love, we go to the Word. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And like he did with his disciples on Easter Sunday evening, our risen Lord gives us an opportunity to use all our senses too when he comes to us in bread and wine. All our senses are involved when Jesus comes to us in bread and wine and says, you're forgiven. You're a child of God. You're at peace with God. Heaven is your home. And just like the disciples, when we embrace that proof through the power of the Holy Spirit, that can make all the difference in the world. Because now we can go through life and we can say with the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can dismiss any fear that comes our way by saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? Jesus' love is the solution to every one of our fears. So, when, when was the time you were most scared in life? I already gave you my answer. Here's the runner-up event. It was a close second. Two years ago, my wife talked me into ziplining over the Royal Gorge in Colorado. I still love her. (laughs) Imagine flying 1,200 feet over the gorge, 
suspended by what looks to be a fairly thin cable overhead. Before we got into our seats, we had to sign a bunch of waivers and list some emergency contact information, and after that, off we went. We made it safely, and after we got across, we had a conversation about how it went, and we we actually talked about the documents we signed, too, before we left, and that's when I found out that she listed me as her emergency contact information. (laughs) She had full confidence in me making it across. There were no fears about that. And there are no fears, and there can be no fears either, in life when we keep our eyes on the empty tomb. Because an empty tomb has no room for fear. Amen.